Hey, listen, uh, welcome home. Uh, Debbie and I are in a season now where we're learning that uh, every day that you have your family close to you is a great day. It's a great day. Uh, David today is uh, getting ready to leave tomorrow from Zurich to fly back to Toronto. That's a long story. Um, we've, we've gone through times where Catherine was in university in, in London, Ontario, and now he's in, Ontario, in Toronto. And, and we just love when our family's together. We love that you've been away for some, some of you have been away for the summer, and we welcome you home. Uh, this, this summer season has passed, and the routine of fall is, is now begun, and, and we're starting a very significant chapter in the life of our church as we launch into our 47th year as a congregation. The, the first service of this church family took place 46 years ago today in Bob Edwards Junior High School, September 8th, 1973. Several years before that, I was in the back seat of my dad's car uh, and my dad was involved in doing some development in this area. None of this was here. It was just a, a, a farmer's field that I had set on fire one time. Um, and, uh, and, and 36th wasn't even paved. It was just sort of a gravel rut between Trans-Canada Highway and, uh, and uh, Force Lawn. And uh, my dad uh, called some de 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 denominational leaders. <laughs> I was afraid of that. To come out and to see him. And he got them into the car and I was there and he drove us out into the middle of the field and he said, listen, one day 50,000 people will live in this area and it'll be called Marlboro. And, and there needs to be a Pentecostal church in such a populated area. And at the time, the denomination had no money and, and couldn't get the extra funds to purchase the property. And so my parents scraped together $6,000 and bought four lots that this church sits on and gave it to the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. I got here, and we were looking and planning for expansion, and I asked my father why they didn't buy more lots. I mean, at $1,500 a lot, how come you didn't buy more? We could have used more. And uh, he reminded me that they couldn't really afford the four lots to begin with. And imagine the cost of, of buying four lots today, he said to me. You, you find out how much the next four homes to, to the church cost. And, and, and right now it's somewhere north of $1.5 million. And he says it, it, it was that kind of sacrifice for us in that day. It was an important sacrifice for a young family more than 50 years ago, but was the foundation of who we are. And what we do today. I have no idea how many people have found help and hope throughout the history of this house on this corner so far. History is important and we're, we're really thankful for it. However, our focus is on what we are doing here today and what we need to be doing in the very near future. In, in just three short weeks, we will open a second location in the town of Strathmore. We've had a team that 
has been praying and preparing for one year for this incredible step of faith. At, at the time, this, this community that we're in right now has grown and changed and, and become more ethnically diverse, more, more exciting, more challenging to reach. And, and we continue to carry a weight, a concern for the spiritual health and well-being of this part of our ministry as well. But I, I want to talk a little bit this morning about the direction that we will be headed in as a church for the year that is ahead. As we become more aware of the importance of our mission and the brevity of our time, the work in front of us takes on greater importance. It requires greater understanding, deeper commitment. Jesus was speaking to his generation that he was in, and he was speaking with some passion, with some insight, some understanding. Matthew records that when Jesus spoke to the crowds, that he always spoke in allegories, that he, he never spoke without using parables. The purpose of these meaning-filled stories was that according to prophecy made about Jesus 750 years before he spoke, they would reveal secrets that had not been, uh, that had been concealed from the, from the beginning of the time when earth was, was created. The, the, the reason they were given was that lazy listeners would not hear, not, not care, would not understand the meaning of the stories, but those who pursued God, were involved, invested in the life of God, would be transformed and empowered by the Word of God to understand the plan and the mission of heaven. So this morning, I'm going to take you to a couple of the stories that Jesus tells to his generation and that I firmly believe have meaning, have purpose for us in this season of our history. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is speaking and he starts his illustration with these eight words found in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Heaven's kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. You can read over those words and think that it's not very important, but those words... Uh, were, were so very important in that he was saying, listen, you can't think like you've always thought. You can't be what you've always been. You have to think differently. Those people who were looking at Jesus with a, with a hope that he would be the political leader of a new, improved Israel were seeing him through political lenses. They were hoping that he would sweep to power, would weld together a, a powerful government and army that would expel the occupying Roman army and restore the power and strength of King David's Israel. They, they, they were thinking in terms of what they, they knew from history, that what they saw in current events, that they would be a political power shift, that a king would come forward and, and wars would be fought and battles would be won and life as their forefathers had known it would be restored and Israel to its, its powerful glory. And Jesus said, the king that heaven has sent to you won't do it the way that it's expected to be done. It's not political it's, it's not military. It's, it's not what you know. It's different. It's unique. It's doing God's work God's way. I, and I think that's the first lesson for us in this new season. 
We're a very smart, very informed generation. We, we have a lot of information at our fingertips, and we can easily pull out our phones and, and Google just about any topic under the sun and, and have instant access to, to history and ha- the how-to and the, and the video and the websites. When I went to the doctor, uh, my, my current doctor, and he interviewed me, he said, how heavily do you depend on, on Dr. Google? I said, well, I've never used it. Okay, I'll be your doctor, he said. (laughs) We have a mindset. We have an expectation, not unlike the expectation that existed when Jesus told this story, that God will show up and work and act according to what we know, what we understand, in, in agreement with our culture and with our values. And today, September 8, 2019, Jesus says that heaven's kingdom will be different than what you expect. It's, it's God's mission done God's way according to his timeline. And then he goes on and he says, let me start to tell you something of, of what that looks like, what, it, what that means, and how it operates. And then he tells two particular, two unique stories in a series of parables that are recorded in that chapter. The first one that I want to bring to your attention is about a farm, a farmhand that was a worker for someone who owned a bunch of property, and, and in his work, he was, he was out in the field, and he discovers quite by accident a hidden treasure. The value of the treasure is obvious, and it's overwhelming. He has never seen that much wealth before. Someone at sometime in the past had taken and hidden the treasure in in the hopes of keeping its value and its placement secret and safe. Whoever was that buried the treasure had died and had left no information to his heirs or in his will about the whereabouts or the value of the investment. And so for some time the treasure had been lost, had been forgotten. But this hired hand, by accident, finds it. Jesus says that the man hides it again and makes a plan. If he takes this treasure out of the field and takes it home and starts spending his his find, then then someone, maybe the, the tax department, maybe the bank, someone is going to show up and say, where did you get all this money? And the answer will be, well, I found it in the fields. Well, which fields? Well, that fields. Well, that field belongs to so-and-so, and so that treasure isn't yours. Belongs to the person who owns the field, and the wealth will be transferred from the farm worker to the owner of the field. So the plan is, the only plan, the only solution would be if the worker could become the owner of the fields. Now, now there was a reason why the farm worker was a farm worker rather than the owner of a property. He, he didn't have the resources required to own and to work the land on his own. But, but, but that day he determined that he would do whatever it took, whatever it cost to own the land. He would work extra long hours. He would scrimp and save. He would sacrifice to raise the required funds. 
He knew that as soon as someone showed any interest in sacrifice, in, or so, as soon as someone showed interest in the, in the property, that the chances that the owner would raise the price, because if there's a demand, let's see how much we can get for it. He took all of that into consideration, and he decided that whatever it takes, for however long it takes, I will own that field. And when I have the title deed, then the treasure will be mine. And the treasure is so large that the sacrifice will be so worthwhile. There were no tears. There, were no sense of, there was no sense of loss. There was no complaining. While well, he sold everything he had, worked as hard as he could, cobbled together the full price for the property because he knew that there was reward. There was treasure there. The difficulty with the parables that Jesus tells was that while they were interesting and colorful and so well told, the meaning wasn't always clear to the audience, just like it might not be to my audience today. Bill, how does this little vignette fit into my life, into our year? What meaning does it have for us today? Hold on. Just... Just, just hang on for a moment. Jesus doesn't stop with that one story, but he turns to a similar story about a different businessman immediately after the real estate deal for the farm worker. This time the story is told about a traveling jewel merchant. He had international clientele who had unique requirements and unlimited resources when it came to their priceless gems and precious stones. And he had one client who was looking for, for pearls, not, not just the pearls that you can find in, in Walmart or anywhere, not just your garden variety pearl, but a, but a large pearl, something that would draw attention to itself. He had this client who was looking for the most exquisite pearl in the world and had commissioned him to keep his eyes open for such a pearl. And in his travels, the merchant had been keeping his eyes open and, and knowing what his client would compensate him handsomely if he were able to find exactly what the buyer had envisioned. And one day it happened. He, he found the rarest. He found the most exquisite pearl available in the world. While wandering a certain bazaar, he, he came across a trader who had exactly what he was looking for. The size of the pearl was impressive, and the, the color was exactly as that which had been required, and the price was no small ask. And so the, the merchant asked for the trader to hold on to the pearl for a few days so that the merchant could liquidate everything in his inventory and raise the capital that would be required. It took everything he had in his pocket, in his inventory, in his bank account, it took everything he had to purchase the gem. And now he had the gem and he had to get somehow from where he was back to his client's. And he knew that it would be a 
thin existence, a difficult trip from this moment until he delivered the pearl to his client. He would, he would have to camp outside instead of being comfortable at the travel lodge. And, and, and there would not be any expensive meals because there would be no resources to afford luxury and comfort until he made the sale to his clients. But it was well worth it. Because he had what his client was looking for and he, would, he, he had the treasure and he would be handsomely rewarded and compensated. Yes, again, Bill, nice that Jesus had Warren Buffett and Bill Gates types in his days like we do in ours. But I, I, I'm not feeling billionaire-esque today. What, what does this story have to do with us? Get to the point. What does this have to do with us here now in this church? Well, it has everything to do with you. It has everything to do with me. Because the story of the, the treasure, the story of the pearl is your story. The treasure is you. The exquisite priceless pearl is, is you. Your value was both hidden and lost to the rest of the world. But th there was one who found you, one who recognized your worth and gave everything he had, spent his entire resource to make you his. Romans 8, 32 says, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for you, won't he give you everything else that you need? You were the treasure. He, he saw your worth. He surrendered everything he had. His one, his only son. In fact, Romans chapter 8 is, is a manifesto of the value that the heaven's kingdom has for you, has for me, for all of us as people. It, it's a declaration of, of commitment, of sacrifice to free you from your current circumstance and restore your value and your place as God's treasure in God's heart and hands, no matter what the cost. The decision of heaven was that you were and you are such in, of such incredible value that nothing else matters. The, the action required was that God would bring an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for you and for me. The, the action, no matter what it cost, no matter how long it would take, heaven would stay focused on its mission until its mission was accomplished. Aren't you glad for that? Some of you were very difficult for God to bring in. For as long as it would take, heaven's kingdom would be dedicated, would be committed to, to making sure that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead would live in you and free you from the tyranny of sinful nature that attempts to control and to destroy you. That this love, this incredible loyalty would not only be offered, but it would pursue you with this guarantee. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate you from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below indeed. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate you from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus to you, his treasure. Again, amazing, amazing. 
that the extremely high price of sacrifice was well worth the expense. Again, Paul in his manifesto says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us the right standing with himself. Who then will be able to condemn us? No one. For God, or for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading ever for us. Again, amazing. The story of the recovered treasure and the story of the priceless gem that was worth cashing everything that the, own, that the merchant had in that was, so that he could own it and it could belong to the Father. That is your story. That is your value. That is a statement about your worth. And so Paul asks, now that you've heard the story of your value and, and of your worth in in view of the marvelous mysteries of God towards you, what is your proper response to such love, to such commitment, to such devotion and loyalty? He who has, he who was all in for you, how would you repay, how would you respond to that kind of expressed love? I believe that God is continuing to call us in the emphasis that we've had this past year. I believe that he would have you continue to love your person and to adopt more persons. That he would love and encourages you to love and serve and encourage your person. That we should be willing to find a place of service here in the church to serve and that we would be invested in our time, in our talent, in our treasure here in the mission of our church and, and, and find places where we can serve in our community. I believe all of that, but that the call goes deeper, that the call goes further this year. I believe that the call for our church is that we would be all in. That we would be totally invested that we realize that the value that was lost in us and then found and restored in us is the story that needs to be repeated over and over and over again. We could go up and down the streets of Marlboro. We could go up and down the streets of Strathmore and could instantly find people who have a lost value and a lost worth that would be totally worth us investing in. That we could come to the conclusion that our lives could not be better spent than if we continue to do the work of heaven's kingdom. Giving all we have and all we are to rescue treasure. The verse that has kept ringing in my head all summer long is our focus for the year that's ahead and it's found in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Beloved friends that are gathered here this morning, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? Paul says, I encourage you 
to surrender yourselves to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices. That you live in holiness, experiencing all the delights of his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Completely surrendered to God, completely dedicated and committed, focused on his priorities, his values, unwaveringly loyal to the people in the community that he sends us to, not worried about the cost, but willing to give whatever is required. Live, live lives that are in alignment with his word, that are, are lived in the way that he requires. This is the one, the only way of living life out of gratitude for all that has been given and required to restore our value, the genuine expression of our thanksgiving, of our worship, of our adoration for the one who did that for us is to pass it on, to be all in, to do what he did for us in the lives of others. One of the most impactful stories, or impacting parts of my life as a child was that I grew up around a lot of missionaries. My, my grandparents were pastors for a great number of years, and when they retired, they had missionary friends who would stop over and stay with them, and I would volunteer to stay with my grandparents on those nights because I wanted to sit there and be able to hear all the stories. Also, my parents owned a, a motel, not but a, throw, a stone's throw from this pulpit this morning. And uh, quite often, churches would put up missionaries in our motel, and they would be invited to our table to eat. And I would, I would get, again, be able to hear the stories. I was about 10 years old when two veteran missionaries came to our house. We, we were tasked with taking them to a small church service in Turner Valley one night, and I, I begged to be able to go with them. The one was an incredibly brave single lady named Annie Cressman, who had gone out to Liberia as a young woman to translate the Bible into the language of a certain tribe, and I, I will never forget her. Paul Spies is, is from her hometown, and she affected his life profoundly as well, and and I, I remember her story. I remember just sitting on every word. But the other, the other missionary was a friend of my grandparents, a colleague who had pastored at one time here in Alberta. In fact, had pastored First Assembly. His name was Claire Scratch. After he'd pastored a number of churches, he ended up being voted in as the district superintendent for the Pentecostal churches here in Alberta. And while conducting the district conference at the next conference after he was elected, there was a report that came that a missionary, Ivan Kaufman, who was serving in China, had very suddenly and unexpectedly died. The person who made the announcement of Ivan's passing listed some of the amazing things that God had done in his life and through his life and, and asked, I think without expecting a, an answer, who, who, will, who will replace Ivan? He's, he's got this amazing thing started and who's going to pick up where he's left off? 
And the room got very quiet. And then Claire Scratch stood up and without hesitation said, I will go. My family and I will we'll go to China. We'll, we'll leave Canada and go immediately to carry on the work that Ivan has begun. And that's exactly what happened. It, it wasn't just giving up what they had here. It wasn't just leaving family and the security and the fulfilling relationship and, and ministry that they had had, but it was a very different culture. It was going into a, an extremely difficult language that needed to be picked up. But Claire and his wife left in the spring of 1935 to go to Shantung province in North China. They served there until December the 7th, 1941, when Pearl Harbor was bombed. And, and following that incident, Claire Scratch and J.R. Spence, another wonderful missionary in China at the time, were taken prisoner by the Japanese and were held in captivity and suffered incredible, horrific hardship until being released in 1944. His wife, the wives of these men had, had noticed that things were happening on the, on the world scene and so they were removed from China and sent back home before. And, and, and during their captivity, his, his wife, Mrs. Scratch, traveled throughout Canada calling on people to pray for China and pray for the release of her husband. She wasn't even sure that he was still alive. She hadn't heard from him in all of that time but stated that in 1935 they had decided that they were all in for the treasure that was the people of northern China. I grew up with the story of Mrs. Scratch coming to my parents' little rural church in central Alberta and having Mrs. Scratch sing the song, I wonder have I given my best for Jesus when he has done so much for me. How many are the souls that I have lifted? How many are the captive I've helped to free? I wonder, have I given my best for Jesus when he has done so much for me? Not a dry eye in the room. As people evaluated their commitment to the mission given to the church, go everywhere, go to everyone and, and make disciples. Those, those stories of sacrifice were the stories that impacted my life. They were the stories that made me, from, from a child, want to be a missionary, not a pastor in Canada. I was exposed to people who came through my house, through my church, and talked about the most fulfilling life that can ever be lived is a life that is lived all in for the purposes of God. This past uh, week, on Wednesday night, I was with the launch team in Strathmore and had just about the most amazing night together with them. We talked about the battle that is ahead in order for us to establish a spiritual beachhead there. We talked about the schemes that we will have to face and encounter they, they sat there and they stated that they were all in, that Strathmore is worth it, that, that there are people, there are hidden treasures in that city that will find meaning and purpose in life because we go to that town and we say, we're all in. 
But before any of that happened, I had a profound emotional experience when I walked through the open door at Moira and Shan's house. The front door was open, and so I walked in, and the first person who ran over and gave me the biggest hug was Jersey. And one day I wanted to tell her story here, and I, I don't know when that will be, but it's an amazing story. The change from when she was first introduced to me and wouldn't look at me and wouldn't come near me to now she comes and hugs me. She came into Shannon Moira's home at a time where their life was full and they <laughs> you would think that they didn't have any more room for any more love, but they said, hey, we're all in, whoever Jesus brings to our door. And here's this delightful, life-filled, joy-filled young lady, because Shannon Moira, we're all in. We're all in. How many jerseys are still out there for us to find? How many Rob Clarks? How many Joe DeFores? Joe was, was a man that stumbled into this church as a result of, of one of the deacons and I, Stan Sage, meeting weekly and praying and saying, God, and, 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 it, and it started out as a as a prayer thing, and then it just sort of turned into a competition, and he prayed, God, send us the worst alcoholic in the city that we might love him to Jesus. And in walked Joe DeFore, and we watched him dramatically transformed, loving and serving Jesus until the day that he died. How many Joe DeFores are there? How many Linda Taws are hidden in, in Marlboro? Are we all in? Are we, are, are we committed and, and invested? Moses stands up in front of his community one day, and, 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 and it's at a crossroads in that community's history, and he made this statement. He said, God's brought you out of the slavery of Egypt and, and he's taking you to a promised land, but you've become impatient. You've become rebellious. You've decided that you could do better with life without God. And so you've created an idol and, and you've done what you thought was right and permissible in your own eyes. But, but that wasn't a good thing and there will be consequences. But this is a moment, he says. Moses stands and says, this is a moment to decide who you will serve. The choice is yours and the choice is free. And whatever you choose will have both costs and consequences attached to it. But I want you to know, as for me and my house, we're all in. We'll serve the Lord. There's a vast treasure in the two locations that we work as as a church. And in order to see Jesus, people come to know Jesus, it, it, it can't be expected that it's a haphazard effort that is carried out when we have time. It requires that we're strategic. It requires that we're intentional. It requires that we're all in. We're all in. 
If, if we're going to see the healing that's been promised to us as a community, we, we, we can't just hope and wish and wait for some magic dust to fall somewhere. It, it requires that we follow Scripture and that we eagerly desire the gifts that we need and that we go all in and pursue them. If, if we're going to see the economic turnaround that we need for our city, for our region, for our province, and for our nation, then we have to go all in and follow the direction that God gives to us. We have to humble ourselves and pray, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways, get all in, and then heaven will come and touch and heal our lands. All in. It means that we think kingdom thoughts. It means that we adopt kingdom priorities and values. It, it, it affects our use of time and, and resources. We see people through the eyes that Jesus sees them rather than our own biased opinions. All in means that we fight for breakthrough, that we never give up. All in means that we work to bring the kingdom of God to the place where we live and the will of God to be carried out in this, this place like it is in heaven. I read this quote a few weeks ago in a book called Don't Waste Your, Your Life by John Piper, a great Christian mind and, and missionary. And he writes this, I'm, I'm wired by nature to love the same toys that the world loves. I start to fit in. I start to love what others love. I start to call earth home. Before you know it, I'm calling luxuries needs. I'm using my money just the way unbelievers do. I begin to forget about the war that wages. I don't think much about people perishing. Missions and unreached people drop out of my mind. I, I stop dreaming about the triumphs of grace. I, I sink into a secular mindset that looks first to what man can do, not what God can do. It's a terrible, terrible sickness. And I thank God for those who have forced me again and again toward a wartime mindset. Isn't that good? That's what all in means. All in. As for me and for my house, we're all in. I want you to bow your heads in prayer this, this morning. 46 years, we've been doing the gospel on this corner. 46 years, we've met week after week. They've been good years. They've been profitable years. They've been meaningful years. But the time is short. The need is even greater than it's ever been before. And the question is, are we all in? Jesus tells a story and he says, listen, 
don't be like the foolish man who started to build a mansion out in the middle of the field by the highway and halfway through forgot that he didn't have enough money to finish it and now it stands as a useless statue to his foolishness. Count the cost. Look at the price. All in means that it's going to cost big time. It's a war mindset. It's an understanding that the treasure of people is important to us. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to make a, a movement on the question of, are you all in? It, it's important that you're honest, first of all, with yourself, but honest with God, that, that you just don't stand because it's what your neighbor does or the person in front of you or behind you does. It's... It's because you're saying to God, you're not saying to me or to anybody else, but you're saying to God, I'm all in. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, you have my loyalty, you have my allegiance, God. We're going to build your church. We're going to see your kingdom come. We're going to rescue treasure. In just a moment, I'm going to ask if that's your statement, if that's who you are, if that's what you're saying in this brand new season. If I can put it in, in terminology that we all understand, if your hashtag is all in, then in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand where you are. Again, it's not for my benefit. It's not for, for your neighbor's benefit. It's... it's it's a statement. It's a, it's a faith commitment to God. I will go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll invest my, my, my resources, my time, my abilities, my time and talents. Again, keep in mind the cost. If that's you this morning and you're saying to God, I'm all in. Would you just stand where you are right now? Just stand where you are right now. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Jesus had just a handful of followers who said we're all in and they changed the world we're just wanting to change our world. And so, Father, right where we are right now, we're, we're making a statement to you. We're saying that, God, our agenda is set aside for your agenda. That, Father, you're going to have to come and you're going to have to transform our minds so that we think like you think. You're going to have to soften our hearts so that love pours out rather than anything else, that, that love pours out to the people that you come 
and bring in front of us and place in our, in our world. God, some of your best pastors and evangelists and, and teachers and prophets and, and apostles are standing right here this morning and they're recognizing that you've brought them to the kingdom for such a time as this. They're, they're recognizing that the people that are crossing their paths right now, it's not by accident, it's not by, by happenstance, it's by divine purpose. And they're saying, Father, here I am, send me, use me, help me to reclaim treasure in, in my world. There, there are sons, there are daughters that are, that are loved and looked after by the people that are standing here. There are workmates that are on the precipice of some of the most dangerous times of their, of their life. And you have sent these, these people who, who love you and love people. You've sent them in. And God, they're just saying we're all in. Kingdom of God, come to us. Will of God be done in us and through us here as it is in heaven, we pray. Father, we love you. And we anticipate that 2019, 2020 will be an extremely profitable year for us in that we will see treasure come forward. Treasure claimed and reclaimed for your purposes. We, we, we believe that we're going to see heal, people healed and delivered from all sorts of things and that, that this, this church will have a reputation of being a church that just loves people. We want you to see this as our, our reasonable worship, our, our expected return to you for all that you've done. For all that you've done. Where, where you're standing right now, I just want you to take a moment.